The presence of Jesus always causes division. The presence of Jesus always causes division. There's no way around it. It caused division in his own day and time as he went around the cities of Israel, and it still causes division today. If you're a Christian, you're someone that is different in your beliefs than others. You share common humanity, you respect and care and love for one another if you're a real Christian, but there are differences in belief that are simply noted and sometimes glaring. So the presence of Jesus causes division, and that's okay. We who believe that Jesus is the Son and Word of God, himself divine with the same divinity of his Father, believe that Jesus has in fact revealed the nature of God, has revealed God for us to show us, to tell us who God is. So the revelation that we have as Christians of who God is, that God is someone that we can call our Heavenly Father, that God is love, that God is trustworthy, that God is faithful, that God is good and wills our good and wills and works for the good of the entire creation, all of that is from Jesus. But Jesus didn't pull that out of a hat. He, in fact, had the long trajectory of his own people, Israel, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a God who was merciful and compassionate, showing steadfast love to generations upon generations. And so Jesus brings that in and fulfills it and fills it and clarifies it and focuses it for those who will receive it. And so Jesus brings the revelation of God because he is the Son and Word of the Father. We Christians also believe that Jesus has in fact shown us how to live the life of faith. If you want to know what it means to live faithfully in and with God, to walk with God faithfully, Jesus is the prime example, the par excellence of faith. He is the pioneer and perfecter of faith, so says the epistles uh, the epistle of Hebrews. So, if we want to know what faith looks like, we look to Jesus. If we want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus, and that simply sets us apart uh, and sometimes causes division. Well, I want to talk today about the three steps or the three components of true and living faith, and they're very important. I kidded around at 9 o'clock. I said, if someone is going to get saved today, just let me know, and I'll meet them up front or maybe later after the service. So no one came up, although I really felt someone got saved at 9 o'clock. So true and living faith. Obviously, the first component is faith or belief, just the simple faith or belief that something is true. We have to have a faith or belief that God is actually real, really there. And many people have that type of faith. Many people believe in God, sort of a God out there, 
it makes sense, you know, it's logical that all this didn't just pop into existence, but they don't have a relationship with God per se, but they do believe God is out there. So the true and living faith has to begin with just faith or belief that God is true. Now, Albert Einstein even reminds us that to say that we know anything in this world actually requires faith. Did you know that, according to Albert Einstein, who I think is a good authority, without faith it's impossible for even science to exist? So everybody has faith. Even though they say they don't, they actually do, because to be able to say anything about the natural world in a scientific way is to trust that this world is orderly and uniform and you're going to get the same measurements every time. Meaning that chaos is not reigning and that's why we can say scientifically we believe this or that because we have consistent numbers. If the world wasn't working in an orderly manner and we have to believe that it is and we trust that it is, Albert Einstein says science could not exist. So everybody has faith or belief, but of course we're moving forward with a different level of faith and belief. I believe that there are black holes. I've said this publicly. Um, scientists say that there are. They even say they have a picture of one. Now something is being swallowed by a black hole. They say they have a picture of that. Fine, I believe it. But I'm not trusting much with the black hole because I really don't have a relationship with black hole. And it really has no effect on my life. And so I can say I believe in black holes, and I really do. But that's not what true and living faith is. True and living faith goes even deeper. And it goes deeper because what we're saying is, is that the God that we believe in is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that has revealed himself to Moses and to David and to Deborah and all of the Old Testament saints. So we have a long history of God revealing himself to his people that comes through Jesus finally as the Son and Word of God, as the Great Shepherd, as the Davidic King, all the titles of Jesus fulfilling them and saying this is who God is and that's the God we believe in. Christians go even further and say, well, we're going to exercise the second component or aspect of true and living faith, and that's personal trust. Trust has to do with relationship and risk. So there's faith and belief, and then trust. Trust has to do with relationship and with risk. You know, the truth is, is that you have to really trust someone to leave your kid with them in order to take care of them, right? You might believe that they look like a person that could do that job, but you're not going to leave someone unless you trust and have a, a real trust of them. You're not going to drive away. Someone that is putting on a parachute pack is going to have a lot of trust in that parachute, right? Because your body, your life is on the line. So you're going to trust that that pack is packed properly and that it's going to go poof and it's going to bring you down to earth because there's a lot of risk involved. And so the second aspect of trust 
is a part of true and living faith because we are entrusting ourselves to God, but even more so, we are entrusting ourselves that God is working in and through Jesus and his life and death and resurrection for us personally. We may not be able to fully explain it, because it is hard to explain because there's a mysterious aspect of how the cross and the resurrection applies to us, but there is a personal aspect of trust and faith that as Jesus died on the cross that my sins were forgiven and canceled, and as he was raised from the dead that I'm filled with this life, and there's the promise of eternal life presently and in the future for me, that that event is not a historical event, way in the past, but that is an event that somehow connects with me and is mine. And that's the second aspect of true and living faith, that the cross and the resurrection is not in the past, it's in the present. We experience that in baptism, as a matter of fact. Jesus says, I'm coming to bring fire on the earth, and this, of course, is the fire of the Holy Spirit, the purifying judgment and transformation of the Spirit. So when we're baptized with water in the Spirit, we get taken in to this great flow of salvation and what's taking place with this world and each one of us personally. And so not only do we believe in God out there, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we also believe that the death and the resurrection of Jesus has to do with me personally and I'm staking my life on it. I am entrusting my life to God and Jesus because they're the only ones that can save me the way that I believe because Christ is the only one who says he's died for sins and has risen up transcending death himself and that's the apostolic witness and so that's what I'm expecting. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm living for, that that's going to happen to me because I continue to need forgiveness because I haven't been able to stop all this sinning and I'm going to need to be saved from death because I'm positive I'm going to die. I not only believe I'm going to die, I'm sure I'm going to die unless the Lord comes back. Hallelujah. Uh, So we have this general faith in God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we have a personal faith that the cross and the resurrection is for me, and God is working to save me through that. And so the second part of true and living faith is trust. Now, the third part of true and living faith has to do with fidelity or faithfulness. And uh, this example of Jesus is the prime example because Jesus was absolutely faithful to God every day of his life. He was faithful in the mission to God. He listened to God. He did God's will and word. Even when it came to be his own life on the line, he proceeded in the Garden of Gethsemane, offering himself as a sacrifice for many, And so the faithfulness of God, uh, of Jesus, can be seen in the life of Christ himself. But we're called to the same type of faithfulness. We're not simply saying, well, I'll take the salvation, thank you very much, 
and I'll see you later. That's not how it works. But a part of what God is doing, only God can do. Only Christ can die for us. Only Christ can be raised for us. Only Christ has the power to give us life again after death. So only God can do that. My response is the third aspect of true and living faith, and that is faithfulness and fidelity to the good, loving, graceful God that has given this to me as a gift. And so to live by faith is to live by faithfulness and fidelity. That's why it would be a corruption of the Christian faith to say, well, I'll take the salvation, but I'll see you later. I'm going to do whatever I want and live however I want, and then you have to save me in the end because that's just how this deal works. And you almost hear that sometimes, I'm afraid to say, on television and the radio. But the other thing I want to mention is this Greek word called pistis. The Greek word that's translated faith is pistis. But do you know that it can also be uh, translated faithfulness? And sometimes it probably should be translated faithfulness. So we think of faith as one thing and faithfulness as another thing. But what I'm trying to say to you, they are exactly the same Greek word. English translators simply have to decide whether to translate it faith or faithfulness, which are English words, but those two things are much closer than we might think. And that's why it's the third step in the process of what is called true and living faith. Faith or belief, personal trust, and then faithfulness or fidelity to God. Everything that Jesus taught us, we are called to be faithful to. We are supposed to live by what Jesus taught us to keep his commandments and there are a whole bunch of them. Our whole life is to consist of walking in his way, in his commandments, and in his love. Well, William Temple, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, says religious faith does not consist in supposing there is a God. It consists in personal trust in God rising to personal fellowship with God. And so you have these almost the three steps in this quote. You have a general belief in God, then you have personal trust, and then that personal trust ascends to fellowship with God, which is faithfulness or fidelity. That's how we walk faithfully with God. But we do find that it is very challenging to live by faith in our own lives. St. Teresa had many griefs in her life, and she had a bookmark in a book of hers that helped her get through life and remind her that God was with her and that she could follow God. And the bookmark said this, Let nothing disturb thee. Let nothing dismay thee. All things pass God never changes. Patience attains all that it strives for. He who has God finds he lacks nothing. God alone suffices. And so one thing to think about is what are the areas in your life that you're struggling with? What are the wounds? What are the griefs? What are the pains, the troubles, the difficulties that are presently making it hard for you 
to live out in fidelity and faithfulness to what you already know you should believe and how you should act. God can help us and strengthen us in those very areas. Now, an extreme example of living in faithfulness and fidelity to God can be found in these Syrian and Iraqi Christian churches that are rebuilding after ISIS totally destroyed all of their churches and cities. And I have an example of one. You can Google these. These are amazing. But in the Iraqi city of Karkush, there was at one time, uh, before they had to flee their churches and homes because of ISIS, there was 50,000 Christian inhabitants, says the Catholic father that is their priest. Now the Christian population in the city has been reduced by half because about only 26,000 Christians have returned there. These Assyrian, Chaldean, and Syrian Christians have lived and worshipped there for almost 2,000 years. These are some of the earliest Christians that we know, but they were wiped out. George Jehola, the Father George Jehola says, all these people do not see the community reborn only as stones and bricks, but as faith around Christ who is celebrated in the resurrection. So the resurrection of Christ is the resurrection of the community itself that it goes on. Our community, he says, now has 800 families. Well, they've returned. They've rebuilt their place of worship. They had their first mass in Christmas of 2018. A year later, they rebuilt the bell tower. You can't have one of those in Piney Point, but you can have one in Karkush, uh, Iraq. Now, I really want you to hear this. This is faithfulness and fidelity. Father George says, Christianity has been present in the Nineveh plain in Iraq between Mosul and Iraqi Kurdistan since the first century. What we have learned from the gospel, from the Lord, is to be instruments of peace and also to live peace. He says, we try in every way to realize it here where the majority is Muslim, where there is still someone that bears hatred. We truly believe in this, in forgiveness and leaving the past behind to continue towards the future. Now that's fidelity and faithfulness to the words and the commandments of Jesus lived out in the real world. And so our faith today is that Jesus not only reveals our Heavenly Father, but he reveals the way of true and living faith, a faith that has trust, belief, and fidelity and faithfulness all rolled into one. So let us end with quoting our epistle to the Hebrews. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Amen.